Father, we thank you for this great morning. When death was arrested, my life began. What a perfect song for this day that we gather to worship and to remember the work of Christ, to remember the power of the gospel message. God, I pray that you would work in our midst. And, and Lord, my, my main request this morning, Holy Spirit, is that you would do a deep work in our hearts. God, for those of us who are believers, I pray that um, you would remind us of the truths of the gospel and how yet even today it affects our lives and it gives us hope. For those who are here, Father, that don't know you, I pray that you would do a deep work in their heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw them. There's nothing I request more than that maybe one or two or five people today would surrender their life to you. We trust you in that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. <clears throat> so glad that you're here this morning joining us for worship, those joining us online and for traditions and for kindred, all together, one church worshiping together. If you have a Bible, we're gonna be in Romans 3.23 and 5.8. If you're in need of a Bible, we're gonna have some ushers coming down the aisles and you can just slip a hand up and say, hey, I need a Bible this morning. And uh, as always, if you need it, uh, you can take it home uh, with you. In the late 80s, anybody remember that? <laughs> there was a Christian music group called the Imperials. I'm gonna take you back here, some of you for a second. And the song that I remember the most was the song, Sail On. Do you remember that? Is that tune going through your head yet? But even more than the song, I remember I was at one of their concerts and one of the singers shared their testimony and he shared that although that, that he had told so many people that he was a Christian and even though he had traveled across the country with the Imperial singing all this uplifting Christian music for years, he was not truly saved. He went on to share that he had just recently understood the gospel for the very first time. And when I heard him share his story, I just sat there trying to get my mind around the fact that he had been out ministering to so many people over all these years through his voice, and yet he had never given his life to Christ. He didn't know what it meant to be saved. In the church, you might hear someone say, I am born again, or I have asked Jesus into my heart, or I've surrendered my life to Christ, or I'm a Christ follower. And when we use those words and we use those phrases, what are we really saying? We're saying that I am a Christian, right? That's kind of what we're saying. Today, I want us to answer the question, why? Why did I ask Jesus into my heart? Why did I surrender my life to Christ? Why did I become a Christian? Last week we learned about who Jesus is. Today I wanna to talk about why did Jesus come? Let's talk about the work of Christ and the gospel. Why do you need to listen to the message today? Different people. Maybe you're joining us today and you've never heard the gospel. 
Maybe you're here joining us today and, and never heard or understood the gospel and you have questions about the gospel. Maybe you're joining us today and you've heard and understand the gospel, but you are knowingly and admittedly not pursuing the truth of the gospel and the life available to you because of the work of Christ. Maybe you're joining us today and you've heard and understand the gospel and you are living out of the truth and the grace and the mercy given to you through the gospel. Did I miss anyone? The truth the gospel offers is such a radical life change through the work of Christ that we need to revisit it every single day. And that's why you will hear sometimes this phrase, preach the gospel to yourself every single day. In other words, be reminded of the gospel every day. Because the gospel never says, <clears throat> now that you are saved, get comfortable. Now that you're saved, chill out. Now that you're saved, be lazy. It never says that. I'm gonna share with you a few things that the gospel tells us. The gospel tells us to live forgiven and free. The gospel tells us that we've been purchased with the price. The gospel tells us that we've been adopted. It tells us that we can rest in God's perfect love for us. It tells us that we can stop performing and working so hard to get God's attention. It tells us that we can live in the truth of who we are in Christ and that we have hope and we have purpose and that we have a reason. It tells us that we can live with joy, that we can rest in his shadow, that we're made new that we don't have to carry around uh, the weight of this life all alone, that we have nothing to fear and nothing to worry about. That's what the gospel tells us. Everything we need, everything we need can be found in the work of Christ and the gospel. I wish I could remember that. When I experienced the shame and condemnation I wish I could remember that when I feel alone or I feel unloved and unimportant, unvalued, or, I, or I've believed somehow that grace isn't free or that when I'm being bombarded with the lies of the evil one, I wish I could remember it then or I lack purpose and hope or when there seems to be no reason to this life or when I feel joyless or exhausted and restless. I wish I could remember it then or when I'm collapsing under the weight of this life or when I feel scared and anxious. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Let's talk about what makes the gospel the gospel. Sin runs deep. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have a massive problem. We who are created in God's image, you might remember from a few weeks ago, Imago Dei, created in the image of God, are separated from God because of sin. All have been declared sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God. There is no good enough. There is no hierarchy of sin where one person's sin condition is less than another. Romans 3.23, it kind of levels the playing field for all of us in this room. 
Unlike rankings in a workplace where one is maybe further up the org chart, our sin says differently. There is no such thing as an S1, S2, S3, S5, S10. Can you even imagine if there was a range or degree of sin uh, that would place a certain level on, on a sin chart and you could find yourself on this chart? What if God said, hey, all those who are S3 and less or lower have a chance? All have sinned, all fall short, all have missed the mark, none have met the standard, we are all corrupt. Let's face it, we have this natural inclination to sin and rebel against God, it's in us, it's a part of our very fiber, the fiber of our being. There was a commercial a few years ago, maybe, maybe you remember this, the guy says, uh, hi, I'm Stanley Johnson. I have a great family, I have a four bedroom house. I live in a great community. And then he turns to his car and he says, you like my car? It's brand new. I like being a part of the, the local golf club. And then he says, how do I do it? Dramatic pause. I am in debt up to my eyeballs. Remember that commercial? Every person has been born into sin and cannot escape the guilt and the punishment of sin apart from the freedom found in Christ. We should never talk about sin without talking about Christ. Otherwise, we're speaking of a hopeless reality and eternity. And there's not one thing you can do about it. In and of ourselves, we're hopeless. Religion can't fix it. Good works can't fix it. Adam and Eve's sin brought spiritual death. And when sin entered the world, it caused their eyes to be open to evil. Maybe remember that. They hid from God in the garden. And God eventually kicked them out of the garden. And it's that, it's that visual picture, that visual image of, of this spiritual separation. What had been perfect was now ruined. What was once pure is now impure. What was once good was now evil. But here's the thing. Because of God's love for us, he is not okay with leaving us as orphans without hope of, of being reconciled back into relationship with him. Guys, we are in debt up to our eyeballs. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Let me say that first part again. But because of his great love for us, that's the reason, that's the motivation, God, who is rich in mercy, which means he doesn't give us what we deserve, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. When you and I, when we were lost, when we were broken, when we were hopeless, when we were dead in sin, what did God do? Did he look at you and say, oh my. There is nothing I can do for you. 
It was his love for us that motivated him to do otherwise. It was the undeserved grace that made a way. It was his mercy that kept us from being instantly annihilated. God is concerned most about his own glory. Anything we do, anything we say or think that is not for God's glory is sin. In fact, that's the definition of sin. Sin presents itself in many ways. My goal in this, in this first point is this. When we talk about the work of Christ and we talk about the gospel, my goal is this, is to get you to feel the weight of sin. Because here's the deal, guys. Until we feel the weight of sin, we can't possibly understand the work of Christ or the gospel. While sin runs deep, his grace is more. Romans 5.8 in just a second. Right after I started the church plant in Iowa, we had this huge outreach to the community. We were literally just, I think a month or two into our church plant, we said, let's have this huge outreach. And we invited this group called the Power Team. And five men came. And, and these men, have you ever seen the Power Team or anything about I mean, these men were absolutely jacked. I mean, they had muscles in places I didn't know you could have muscles. They were huge. And each night they would put on this show and then they'd present the gospel at the very end. But they put on this show where they would break baseball bats over their legs or they would take frying pans and they'd roll them up their hands or they would take phone books and they would literally tear them a half right in front of you. And right now, I know. The people in Kindred are saying, whoop-dee-ding. Anyone can tear a local phone book in half. I'm talking about a three-inch phone book ripped in half right before your eyes. And I thought, that's really cool. I went home and tried it, but I got a paper cut. And so I had to stop and I had to go put a Band-Aid on. But here's the deal. I'm going to tell you another quick story. The first night, they brought me up on stage and it was outdoor, we did it on the softball diamond, it was, and it was just people all over the place. They brought me up on stage, and they called me the Sermonator. And I thought, yeah, I'm the Sermonator. And then I went back and watched videos and realized they call everybody that, the Sermonator. But they brought me up there, and, and they had this bed of nails, and these nails were about this thick, and it was just this, this big square of nails. And they carefully lowered me to lay on this bed of nails. It was a thousand nails. And to my surprise, it didn't really hurt. The nails didn't really hurt. But then they put this board on top of me on my chest and kind of my midsection and had me hold it. I'm laying on my back and they lowered on top of me a 400 pound block of ice that I had to, that had to lay on me. And then they busted it with a sledgehammer in two and it fell off. The ice was really heavy. For a moment, Imagine if that were you laying on a bed of nails. Just, I want you to picture yourself there for a second. With the 400 pound block of ice lowered on your chest and your midsection. Are you there in your mind? For a moment, Imagine that that block of ice 
represents all of your sin. It has you so weighed down, you can't move. And there is no escape. And this is now your life. Do you feel it in your chest? Every word, every behavior, every thought contrary to God's glory. Resting on you. You have to pay the price. You deserve it. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For no other reason than out of his grace and his great love for us. While we were under the weight of sin, Christ died for us. One skeptic said as he laid on his deathbed, God will forgive me. That's his job. He went on to say, isn't forgiveness God's duty? Isn't forgiveness God's obligation? He might be a skeptic, but you can hear in his voice and understanding that because he's a sinner, that he's alienated from God by nature and his need for forgiveness. You can hear it in his voice. And though he thinks it's God's duty to forgive him, he clearly sees the need for forgiveness. A skeptic. We have to see our need for forgiveness. Forgiveness and being made right with God was not free. It cost a whole lot. In the Old Testament, um, you can read about this in Leviticus 16. I don't, you don't need to turn there, but if you want to later read about this. There was what was known as the Day of Atonement. I want to share with you a little bit of where this idea of atonement came from. And the high priest, Aaron, let's just say, uh, once his own sins were atoned for through the sacrifice of a bull. He would sacrifice a bull and atone for his own sins as the high priest. Then he would take two goats, one for the Lord and then one for the atonement of the people's sin. So imagine if I was the high priest at that time, I, I first would sacrifice a bull for my own sin, and then I would take these two goats, and, and, then, and then one was for you, and one was for the Lord. He would take the goat, and he would lay both hands on its head. He then would confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel. So in other words, all of their sin and all their transgressions and he put them on the head of this goat, so to speak, and then he sent it away out into the wilderness. And once the scapegoat, there's that word, once the scapegoat was sent out into the wilderness, the sins of the people escaped through the atoning work. Well, guess what, we, we can relate in some ways. Just like the people of Israel, we are sinners in need of atonement. Jesus came to give up his life as the atonement for the sins of the world. 
First Peter 2.24 says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. No more goats. So guys, if you've got a goat in your backyard, open the gate, let it go free. Jesus was sent to earth as the only acceptable sacrifice. So God, when he, when he looked at us and he saw this, this sin problem, he, there had to be a sacrifice that had to bridge the gap between a holy God and sinful people, and he turned to his son Jesus. There was no animal that could do the work anymore, and he looked at his son Jesus and said, you're the only one. Only your blood will I accept. God promised way back in Genesis that he would provide a way. You may not realize this, but the first mention of the gospel is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. He said, from the seed of Eve will come one, Jesus, who will crush the head of the serpent. Because sin was by nature and by decision, there, there was not one acceptable sacrifice God could use to atone for sin. All had been contaminated, all had been ruined. And what did he do? He turned to his son. Second Corinthians 5, verse 21 says this, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, complete, perfect, no sin at all. God made him, took him, and made him who had no sin to be sin. For us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might be made right with God. His death was necessary as a sacrifice for sin to pay the penalty of death that we deserve. There's a song, and you already know this about me, I can't sing, so I'm just going to read the lyrics. It's a newer song. It says, thank you, Jesus, for the blood. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owed, broke my chains, freed my soul. For the first I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious Jesus was born to die. He had one mission, it was a cross. He'd made it very clear, he said, I didn't come to be served. Yes, I'm Jesus, yes, I'm the son of God, but I didn't come to be served. I come to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. His blood is also significant in that it points to a life poured out in death. His death provides the only means by which our sins can be forgiven. God is certainly a forgiving God. Would you agree with that? I mean, I think all of us in this room would say, amen, right? But also, I want you to keep something else in mind. God's role and nature as judge of the entire earth demands the execution of justice. So the forgiveness of sin apart from the exercise of judgment because of sin would, would contradict his own nature. 
there must be both forgiveness and judgment. He is incapable of forgiving and overlooking judgment. All of this points to a significant truth about Jesus. Jesus is our substitute. Died in our place. He satisfied God's judgment. He took upon himself the penalty of sin. Romans 10, 9 and 10, it should be up on your screen. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it goes on in verse 10, it says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I just want to share something really quick about those two verses. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. So in other words, if you say Jesus is Lord, and then it goes on, it says, and believe in your heart. That word believe right there, what does it mean? If you think it to be true. So if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you think it to be true in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But it goes on. For it is with your heart that you believe. There's another word, believe. Little different meaning here. Listen. For, for it is with your heart that you believe. This is what it means. Trust in the content of the gospel and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. So the first one is if you think it to be true, the word believe. The second one is trust in the content of the gospel. So one is to think it, one is to trust. You can't trust unless you believe it to be true. To believe it to be true, you must know what you're believing to be true. So you can trust in it. What do you believe to be true? No, really, what, what do you believe to be true about the gospel? For those who believe in the work of Christ and the gospel, Dave Ramsey had it right. I am debt free. It is super easy to hear the gospel. Jesus came, died on the cross, was buried, raised from the dead three days later. Thank you, Jesus. Sign me up. Most likely, all of us have heard the gospel many times. But here's why and where I'm at today. I think that many have heard the gospel but can easily miss it because they've not taken the time to truly understand it. The singer for the Imperials. Is that a little concerning? The more you understand the work of Christ and the gospel, the more you believe, and the more you believe, the more you trust it. 
Again, some more lyrics from a song. Lord, I come and I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Are you free? At this time, I want to invite uh, a friend of mine up on stage, Ramona Burchill. And Ramona is going to come up and share her testimony. And I want you to listen closely because it's a powerful testimony. And she shared this um, not long ago with a, with a, a women's group. And so Ramona, uh, I'm just going to have you step right up here and uh, share your testimony because I think that many here this morning will be able to relate. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Ramona Birchall, and I'm a witness for Jesus. I'm like the singer Ann Wilson who says, let me tell you about my Jesus. Yes. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Jesus is a very personal God. Mark 10, verse 21 says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus loves each one of you. He comes pursuing and looking for each one of us. He came looking for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. I was born in a family that was ritualistically religious. We went to church every Sunday, every holy day. My parents scraped up money to send eight children to a private school so that we could have religious training every day of the week. I got married in a church. I raised my children to go to church and I volunteered in church. But for the first 40 years or so of my life, I can honestly say that I didn't remember hearing the name of Jesus spoken about in relation to me. I heard about Christmas, baby Jesus being born. I heard about Easter, Jesus being crucified. I did not hear that Jesus loves me and treasures me and would pursue me to make me his. Those first 40 years of my life, I certainly went to church. I went because it was the right thing to do. Going to church was a part of a lifestyle that made me feel good about myself. It made me feel like I was following all the social rules and laws. But then things started crashing in on me. As much as I tried to order my life and set my life up to be morally right, I was in serious trouble. My marriage was in shambles. My husband and I were talking about divorce. We and our children had no respect for each other. I did not know what to do or who could help me. 
How would I get out of this mess? How do I go on? I was lost. I needed someone who could rescue me. And then Jesus just showed up powerfully in my life one evening after I was done serving at church. Again, serving because it was the right thing to do. Anyway, I went to the church library when the meeting was over so that I could delay going home because there was so much anger and bitterness and discord there. I was in the relationship section of the library, and I grabbed a book off the shelf. I don't remember the name of the book or the author, but I do remember very clearly what, it re- what I read when I opened it. It said, I hate divorce, says the Lord God. I hate divorce. It was from a book of the Bible called Malachi. And those words spoke straight to my heart. Jesus spoke straight to my heart. Those words didn't say anything about the state of my marriage or if divorce was good or bad. Those words said that there was someone, someone alive, that cared about what was going on in my life. And that person had the power and the authority to comment on it. I was overwhelmed. God seemed to be waking me up, to be shaking me, telling me to read the Bible to see what those words meant, specifically what they meant in regard to me. God had brought me to a spot where I was desperate for help and where I could see that I was unable to manage my life by myself. God had brought me to the point of seeing that I had nothing and that I needed to be rescued. And God was ready with the rescuer. John 3:16 says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life." I did go home then and told my husband what I had read. We opened up a Bible to read more, and we understood that God sent his son Jesus to save us from the mess of our lives. His death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins, and his rising from the grave gave us his spirit so we would have his power to fight sin in our lives. I wish I could say that our marriage was miraculously restored. It wasn't, but it was miraculously rescued. My husband and I still have to work to get things right with each other and with our children. But we now know Jesus as our rescuer, our savior, and our redeemer. He takes our anger, our bitterness, our defeat, our self-righteousness, and he exchanges them for grace, a way, the truth, and life in Jesus. So let me, and Ann Wilson, tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. There ain't no sinner that he can't save, and he'll do for you what he did for me. And let my Jesus change your life. Amen. What an incredible, powerful testimony. I... 
I love the line, and let me tell you about my Jesus, because it's so, it's so personal, and um, just the testimony of the fact that you've been rescued, your marriage was rescued, um, and now God's using you to share that message. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Yeah. I think all of us in this room are here for, for different reasons or understand the gospel at different levels. I think that there's probably someone here or some people here who can relate to that testimony and you've been doing all the stuff but it isn't personal. Um, I think that there's some people here that um, you're hearing the gospel maybe clearly for the very first time and God is drawing you right now. I think that there's people here that understand the gospel, like I said in the beginning, and you're living out of the grace and the mercy of the gospel. But God is still speaking to you. So my punt is this. Um, I don't know if we have any elders in the room. I think I saw one or two coming in. Um, but what I do know is my wife, Lori, and I are here, and um, d during this next song, once in a while we do this, and we gotta get back to doing this, um, post-COVID, post um, we're going to have some people down front during this last song. Um, is this a really rocky song? In Christ alone, perfect. Um, we're going to have some people down, I just want to be able to hear, you know what I'm saying? Some people down front here. If you need prayer, and maybe when you come, you're not saying, hey, I, I need to accept Christ, because maybe you already know Christ, and maybe you understand the gospel. You just need, maybe it's your marriage, right? Or maybe it's your, something else in your life, or you need hope, or whatever it might be. Would you come, and, and whoever you come up to, we're going to be happy to pray with you. Or maybe you need Jesus. And today's the day. And you'll walk up to somebody and say, I need, I need to understand this more. Maybe that's you. Would you stand as we sing? Um, and we're going to be down front uh, to receive, receive anybody who comes. Elders, if there's anybody in the room, would you come down and just take a spot down front?